0: better way to do this. Let me
1: show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November 26, 2013, and this is episode 1255 of the Survival Podcast, and it's Thanksgiving week. It's Tuesday. That I means you have a couple of days to get ready for that big turkey day. And, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff around here that's solutions-oriented and not quite hum, you know, uh, humdrum's not the word, but not quite doomsday-ish. And we talk about a lot of things that are, you know, kind of doomsday-ish. Uh, but even the solutions-oriented stuff is generally based on the fact that we need to be more prepared and more resilient because our society is not as stable as people would you know, be led to believe. Every once in a while you just have to have some fun, and today is the day we're just going to have some fun. Chef Keith Snow, member of the Expert Council, amazing chef and great guy, is going to be with us in just a moment to talk about Thanksgiving. What's going to be different this year is we're not going to really talk much about turkey, except till the end, a little bit about the uh, presentations and things like that. But actually how to cook a turkey, Keith has put together basically a turkey cooking university for you guys for free. So you'll hear about that today, or you can go to our show notes, episode 1255, and there'll be links there for you where you can learn how to make your turkey in a way where it won't be dry like the Griswold's uh, Christmas turkey was in the movie Christmas Vacation. By the way, this is a great weekend to watch stupid movies like Christmas Vacation and other things leading up to Christmas because, well, it's time to have some fun with your family. We're going to talk about that today as well. Every once in a while, we just need to unplug from things and take a break. This is my Unplug Week. When I get done with this show, I'll be doing uh, up the uh, Thanksgiving special that will run tomorrow, and I won't be doing a damn thing until Monday morning. I suggest that you try to do the same thing and spend as much time with your family as possible. And uh, I really recommend that maybe you consider this year listening to the Thanksgiving special with your family. It's not very long compared to a normal show. and It will tell you what makes Thanksgiving a uniquely American holiday. Anyway, before we go into that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor today, number one today is jmbullion.com. JM Bullion is a great provider of silver and gold from generic silver rounds, of silver eagles, awesome gold. Check them out today, jmbullion.com. I got JM Bullion as a sponsor when I let go of a a different uh, company uh, that was a sponsor for a very long time and who I was up until that point very pleased with, but they got involved in kind of a network marketing: sell silver to your friends for five times its worth to get some silver in return scam it's the only thing i could call that type of a thing and uh i don't want my brand associated with things like that so i gave that sponsor a refund uh on their money uh for the time they still had in their contract and immediately separated the relationship and went out to find a new silver and gold sponsor i wanted somebody big enough to offer good pricing but small enough to offer personal service somewhere where i when i got in touch with them i was like let me talk to your president or your owner or at least your you know executive director, or somebody that's at the top level of the organization. Well, people like Lonex and Atmex are like, who are you? We don't want to talk to you. Uh, here I was able to talk to the president of the company, Michael, directly, get the deals with him directly, so I knew that I would be able to deal with him directly if there was ever a problem. He's done a great job for you guys. I've heard many great glowing returns on Jam Bullion. Uh, check him out for your next needs of silver and gold, and consider that that's coming from a guy that also sells silver. With TSP um, but we sell different silver. And uh, if you want to get those silver eagles, or if you want to get those generic rounds, or you're looking for gold, Jam is the place to do it, guys. Next up today, uh, Fortress Defense Consultants. I talk about it all the time. I call it the triangle of gun, or the yeah, the triangle of gun operator efficiency, and that's the three linchpins to being an effective weapons operator. Linchpin number one, you gotta have a gun. No gun, no gun operator. Can't work, can't point your finger and say bang and make them go down like you did when you were playing guns as a kid with your friends. Number two, ammunition. Without ammunition, that gun is nothing but an overpriced club. But number three, and frankly the most important one, because you can easily purchase the other two and you don't have to work real hard for them. But the third one, you, gotta, you can purchase, but you've got to work hard to make it happen, and that's training. That's the operator's efficiency as an individual. Without those three things, you do not have an effective weapons operator. Now, you can buy a gun anywhere, and you can buy ammo just about anywhere except during a shortage, and both of them store very well, and they don't tend to degrade over time. But your performance will degrade over time, even if you're well-trained. If you're not out practicing and taking new training here and there, your performance will go nowhere but downhill. One of the best places I know to get that type of training is from Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of professional instructors. And remember, if you can't go to Indiana where Frank is, he can come to you. Put together a small group of people, get in touch with him, and he'll set up customized training for you or get up to his facility and take one of his scheduled classes. Either way, you'll be a better gun operator for it. Next up, um, we're not going to talk about our uh, year in history. 1255 was kind of boring. So, uh, but if you want to know about 1255, that's the show episode today. You can find a link in the show notes. Last but not least, do consider joining the member support brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. And, uh, if you're a military law enforcement, peace corps, active duty or prior service, or a first responder like an EMT paramedic or firefighter, you do qualify for a service discount. Just e-me with, e-me, e-me? <laughs> email me with service discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did of your prior service. And I'll send you a discount code to save you even more money. Remember, you need to do this before, not after you join. If you're already a member and you'd like this discount, we can look at doing it around your renewal date if you continue to stay a member of the MSB. Which I think you want to do, given how much money it saves people. It's probably one of the best deals on the Internet in the preparedness industry. Um, I get emails from people every day that say in one or two purchases, they save their entire annual membership fee. I had one guy email me the other day, and he said between buying a lot of stuff this year and needing a lot of stuff this year that he ended up forced to buy, um, he was able to save over $400 on a $50 membership. That's a pretty good ROI and uh in any event you are supporting the show as a member so there's that as well uh, with that wrapped up i'm ready to get into the main topic of today's show but i do have one more announcement for you um, as i've said before i'm going to be speaking at a conference in uh, march called permaculture voices uh, diego who is putting that conference together has really upped the ante uh, we are now looking at out there, there's going to be 34 hours of talks. That's not 34 hours while talks are going on, that's 34 actual hours of talks in a solid four-day period. Um, People that will be there include Jeff Lawton, Joel Salatin, Toby Hemingway, Mark Shepard, Greg Judy, Alan Savory, and the list goes on. Jeff Lawton alone will be giving four talks, including Reading the Landscape and Permaculture Earthworks. Joel Salatin will be giving an intensive on pasture livestock, as will Greg Judy, Dr. Elaine Ingram will be giving a three-hour soils intensive. There will be four hours of spin farming workshops. Uh, Not only will you learn a lot of practical information, you'll learn it from world-renowned experts, people out there on the ground that are actually doing it. I'll be giving two talks myself. Uh, One will be taking permaculture into the mainstream and the other making permaculture consulting and design into a profitable business model. There will be over 50 talks at the conference. They've added a lot more since the last time I spoke. About it on the air, and I put out a link today where you can learn more about it. But they're going to run a Black Friday sale. I guess that's what you'd call it based on the dates. It doesn't say that, but that's what Diego asked me to tell you uh, the dates, and that seems like Black Friday to me. But it's really Black Friday weekend, I guess, starting on November 29th, which is uh, the day after Thanksgiving, also known as Black Friday. They're going to be offering a $250 discount on the ticket price of $960. The special price is good for three days expiring on December 1st at midnight. I would bet that specific time based on the fact that Diego's in California. Uh, I really can't believe they're going to do this, but they are. So the tickets are going to be 710 bucks. That's really justifiable. I want you to think about this. Uh, I'm still in talks with Jeff Lawton to bring him here, even though we did the majority of the earthworks uh, here, about bringing him here to consult and take care of uh, and do some teaching on the planting. So, the gilding, the planting, the establishment of the actual food forest this spring, which may actually be a lot better than having to do the earthworks because when it comes to earthworks, especially when it's just swales and we can't do ponds, I think I can handle any swale anywhere. Um, so that's why we went ahead and did it. But to bring Jeff here, for that event, will make me have to charge more for it. I will have to pay Jeff a consulting fee, which he's doing a special deal for me because of our relationship of $1,200 a day. Actually, it's 1250 I think. So just to bring Jeff Lawton here for one day will cost me $1,200. Now, just let me read some of the people that will be here again. Jeff Lawton, or at, at voices Jeff Lawton, Joel Salton, Toby Hemingway, Mark Shepard, Greg Judy, Alan Savory, and Elaine Ingram, and me. Um, to be able to participate in a conference with that many speakers of that caliber, and yeah, some of them are going to be you know opposite each other, but most of the top speakers are doing more than one presentation. So you'll be able to see all of these guys, meet many of them personally. You know, you'll be able to hang out with me. Uh, a price of seven hundred and ten bucks for that um, I know it's a lot of money for some people, but if you really want to get the best permaculture education I think ever assembled under one roof and meet some of the most amazing people and not just the speakers, think of the people that are going to be there, man, this is a conference to attend. Um, I've never heard of anything like it in permaculture. I don't think anything like it's ever been done. uh The awesome sauce uh, factor quotient there is going to be massive. You know Paul Wheaton will be there speaking as well. Uh, come on over if you can, and I would wait till the 29th to buy your ticket. From what Diego says, they have quite a few tickets left. Uh, I'd like to see that thing sell out. I think it's over 600 is what they have seating for. Um, and they have, you know, quite a bit left. So, uh, I would take advantage of that sale if you want to come out there. It's a little closer to the time frame now. Take a look at the site, permaculturevoices.com. See if you can make it fit into your schedule and we will be doing, uh, TSP get togethers after hours as well. Uh, if you want, if you're going and you want to, you know, hook up with me and other TSP people, send me an email, put permaculture voices in the subject line, send it to, uh, jack at the survival podcast.com and I'll make sure that, you know, you guys are emailed directly when I have, you know, firmer plans as to what we're going to do and how we're going to get together, uh, with extracurricular activities around this conference. All right, with uh, all that wrapped up, I'm uh, ready to get into our main topic for real now. Uh, Chef Keith Snow is an awesome guy. He's a member of our expert council. Uh, He's a wonderful person. He now lives in uh, the wilds of northern Montana, and uh, he's continuing to do great things, teaching people to cook seasonally and locally. And uh, this is a great time of year for a chef. I mean, this is like the Super Bowl of chefdom. And uh, with that, I just say, hey, Keith, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. All right, folks, with that, I'd like to say once again, uh, welcome back to the Survival
0: Podcast, uh, Chef Keith. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me, man.
1: Well, cool, man. We've been wrapping a little off air, and you know my voice is kind of uh, tore up, so I'll have to have you basically carry this one. Um, But that shouldn't be a problem because we're talking about food, and that's your thing, and we're talking about Thanksgiving, which, let's face it, for for chefs and for, for people that teach others how to cook, um, it's like the Super Bowl of, of of holidays. Like we cook stuff all the time, but there is, I don't think there's another holiday where more at the centerpiece is the meal. So this has got to be a busy time of the year for you.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, like you mentioned, everybody, everybody cooks year round. There's definitely, I see like certain holidays where people will reach out to me, whether it be Facebook or, you know, just emailing me directly for, you know, tips and pointers, but. Um, this is, this is big time for, for most people. And, you know, I guess for me, it's my favorite holiday too. And it's, you know, it could be a big deal for people that, you know, don't really cook. Um, even if they do cook, they may not cook for as many, uh, as they do on Thanksgiving. And that's one area where I always try to help people. Like uh, I'm quick to, you know, having worked in the restaurant business so long and, and, um, you know, looking after so many different employees and all that, I can walk into a kind of a kitchen situation and immediately, um, you know, just see the lay of the land and where the the, the people are either doing well or not doing well. And, and a lot of it has to do with with that one French term, mise en place, which means everything in its place. And I often, uh you know, kind of I catch my wife where who and she's become a great cook uh, over the last. I don't know, five or six years, she's really increased her cooking. But uh, a lot of times, like just the other night, she was getting ready to, to cook something. And I, I just walked by and I could see out of the corner of my eye that there were, you know, dishes on the counter. And, you know, probably there were some lunch dishes that just never uh dishwasher wasn't unloaded. And, and I said, she asked me something about it. I said, you can't start until the kitchen's clean. And, uh you know, of course, she gave me some kind of comment. But, uh, that has to do with this mise en place. And, and you know, the point to all this is, is folks are going to cook a meal that, number one, they're dealing with a huge, heavy turkey. And uh, a lot of things need to be right. But I guess w- one thing that's super important is this mise en place concept, and that's to have, um, you know, put some thought into it because this is a big meal. And, you know, I see this all the time, and, and I've been to a lot of different Thanksgivings where – um I don't know if I was invited as a guest or just to be the, the rescue chef, but, you know, if you don't spend a little time thinking about all the different moving parts of this holiday, um and there's a lot of them, and people just, they, they don't think about it enough, and this year, um, you know, you and I talked about not going into just a standard cook a turkey, step one, step two, and what I've done is uh, I didn't want to leave anybody in the lurch, so I've recorded this thing called Thanksgiving University, and they're, there are uh, 10 and soon to be 11 audio segments which are uh which can be accessed individually that go over a lot of these different components but um i've become pretty fascinated with this mise en place because you know when you teach people to cook which i do quite a bit uh this is an important concept for people to get and you know it's really no different than you, know, you can relate it to to any field like if you're going to go and um and you know and i'm not good at this particular thing but if you're going to you're going to go and change your oil in your car. You know, before you un- undo that drain bolt in the bottom, you know, there's a bunch of things to think about and to get to get ready. You know, you need your the bucket to be empty. You need your filter wrench. You need to have the oil on hand. You know, what if you break the nut off? There's all different types of things that need to happen before you start that particular project. And this can be related to, you know, any type of household thing, but with cooking, and uh I think where where a lot of people run into problems is they don't properly plan for um getting things out of the oven because a lot of things have to come out of the oven and to the table and you know, an oven is only so big. Now we used to have a uh a big giant Lacanche range that was a double oven and man that made it it also had like six eight burners on top, so it had eight burners plus a double oven and it made um heating things up or cooking things much easier than the traditional setup that most of us have which is just your standard oven so yeah there's a lot to think about I mean do you uh do you do the meal or or is it Dorothy who does it
1: uh I do the primary stuff for the meal uh Dorothy usually does some some sides and stuff like that and, and some other things but when it comes to the turkey and the stuffing uh and the gravy that's me and if it's meat it's probably me anyway it's just how we run our household I like to cook meat
0: yeah, well, that's, um, you know, the turkey certainly, I guess, if you go to Thanksgiving and some of the sides aren't great, or I went, um, I guess it was last year to, to a neighbor's house and the, um, somebody had made mashed potatoes that they didn't really cook the mashed potatoes, they didn't cook the potatoes, so there were huge chunks, and they were hidden pretty well, but once you got a scoop, there were pretty large chunks of potatoes that were rock hard, uh, in the mashed potatoes, so, you know, things like that can go wrong on the sides, but you know, those can be acceptable sins, but you know, if the turkey's dried out or if the turkey is, you know, raw in the middle and cooked on the outside, that's a that's a big problem. So, what's uh do you do fresh or frozen turkeys?
1: Uh we always do a, a fresh. Um, I've got a bird in the in the freezer right now. We're going to pick up our fresh one today. Um I I don't like to do a frozen bird for Thanksgiving. Um I I know that's not a terrible thing quality wise but it's just one of those things that I've always tried to do is a Thanksgiving it's a fresh bird.
0: Yeah, fresh birds are nice. Um I've been reading that the uh you know Butterball's a North Carolina company. They're the number one turkey supplier in the country and for some reason this year they, they I don't know if you read about this but they're they're having trouble getting uh weight on their birds that were supposed to go, you know, to be fresh turkeys yeah so uh and they're they're not saying what it was, but uh I've never heard this before, but all of a sudden they're they're uh you know they have to reach a certain weight before they they send them to be processed as fresh turkey so they're they're having a pretty big uh shortage and um it's interesting this this year we we were able to get um our turkey a fresh turkey from a hutterite colony Have you heard of hutterites before yes yeah, they're, they're uh, it's a new concept to me. Uh, I know about Amish, and these are certainly not Amish, but here in uh, Montana, a lot of people shop and buy their turkeys from, from and other things from the Hutterites. So they uh, they do you know a, a sizable run of fresh turkeys, and we were able to get one of those. But uh, yeah, I was reading how many people you know probably thought they were going to be able to get a a fresh turkey at the store, but they're definitely running into some shortages and uh it's interesting i wonder i wonder what went wrong something with the grain or maybe it was too hot but for you'd figure that the biggest turkey processor that's that's a pretty mechanized standardized type thing and for it to go sideways like that pretty interesting mm. yeah maybe it, maybe I, it was G, gmo food who knows yeah but um what uh what what sides do you guys do, do you, um you do that do that i I usually do a
1: bird somewhere between 14 and 16 pounds. That's enough for us to have plenty for the family and plenty of leftovers. Um, I, I'm not big on these 22, 24 pound birds. And I, when you get in like the, like 10 pound range, then we're, then we're fighting over certain components of the Turkey.
0: Yeah. This year our um, we picked up our bird yesterday with it's 18 pounds. So that should be, that should be a good, a good size. I know, uh, some people last year had contacted me, and they had raised, you know, some heritage breeds at home. One dude had a, I think he said it was a 38-pound turkey, and in addition to being that big, he said there's no way it would fit in the oven, so he cooked it over a, a rotisserie. And, oh, wow. Uh, so he needed some some pointers, and, you know, he was really nervous about cooking that bird over the rotisserie, and uh we just chatted back and forth, but he was cool enough to send... um He sent photos of it and everything and it it looked really cool. He had a wood burning fire and a a big rotisserie hand turned with this giant turkey on it, but apparently it came out pretty good.
1: Yeah, a rotisserie turkey. I've never, I've never done, I've smoked a turkey, uh, but I've never rotisseried a turkey.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, it seems like he had to have a tired arm after all that because trying to control that temperature of an open fire. Must have been challenging, but boy, with all that smoke flavor, that had to taste good. I, I would, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to trying that myself someday.
1: Now we've had you on about turkeys before, and turkey is the star of the show for most Thanksgivings. But uh, instead of going through how to cook a turkey again, you've set up a resource for
0: people this year, correct? Right. Yeah, the, the Thanksgiving University's definitely got a segment on turkey, and you know I go through the 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 main things where because there's only a few areas where people struggle with the turkey um and, and of course um not letting that thing come close enough to room temperature or or having it just out and out frozen is uh i mean this is going to happen to millions of people this Thursday they're they're going to have a turkey that you know they think is thawed out but you know the, believe it or not people will take a turkey out Wednesday morning and it's, <laughs> it could be a big turkey and they somehow think it's going to be defrosted um in time and then they wind up you know running water on it and um you know those turkeys are usually too big to put in a microwave but i've i've heard and seen just about everything well what if i boil it if i can you know put it in boiling water for 30 minutes and then roast it i mean man you just you don't want to be in that position that thing is if you're listening to this show when will this post tuesday right yeah it'll post tomorrow yeah you, you better have that bird out that's uh that's the big thing, but yeah, I decided just to to do uh individual recordings for people this year, but I'm already starting to get some interesting uh questions coming in uh A lot of people are trying to do um fresh turkeys more it just seems like more and more people are wanting to do fresh turkeys that they get locally and some some folks are getting turkeys from local you know small farms, but um you know they're not used to getting it the way you know like it'll have uh the neck will be attached or or just not not processed the same way um you know some some folks were saying that they had there was a lot of feathers still on this one bird that they got so i think it's a growing trend where people will want to not only buy more local turkeys but probably start raising their own um and that's uh that's pretty cool but it's it's always a little different because the the store-bought turkeys everything is very standardized have you ever done a, uh, you know, gotten one from a farm or a friend? Uh, not
1: in recent time. I mean, that's one of those things that, like, we we've tried to source more and more locally, and uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you just think, yeah, it'd be nice to do. And it's one of those things if you're wanting to do it, you need to be thinking about it like in the spring, you know, because those guys have 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 got their birds uh, pretty much sold out by now, from my experience. Our plan actually next year is as we bring in our poultry for the year, we'll probably bring in several turkeys next year. And so next year, our turkey will, uh, probably on a day like the day people are hearing this, uh, uh, graduate, uh, from feathers to skin. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of days later, after being nicely rested, we'll be going into a beautiful, con- brand new convection, uh, gas range that we, we just bought that I think you would like you saw our for a consumer grade stove we we have a pretty nice uh nice stove now and i'm on gas and i'm so much happier than our last place where i was stuck with electric
0: yeah no doubt and and uh, i think next year with the amount of turkeys that we've got uh roaming around here uh we're, we're planning on harvesting our own wild turkey i mean there's there's just tons of turkey here and uh Unlike back east in North Carolina, and I forget the exact month, but turkey season was you know, just nowhere near the fall, but they have, um, they have a turkey season here that I think it might have been the first couple of weeks of October or September, which is pretty cool, but there's a lot of, lot of turkeys here. So we, we want to, um, harvest our own next year, but I know a lot of people in the valley are, are, uh, selling their own turkeys to folks, but just like you said, man, those things were, they were reserved way, way earlier. You know, if you, if you say, you know, th- three weeks ago, you want to get a, a fresh turkey from a local source, good luck.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you've got that resource. We'll put links in there for folks. Um, so let's let's assume that people have got the whole turkey thing and they figured out or says we're putting this out on Tuesday they have plenty of time to go to your resource and make a wonderful turkey and not have a, a, a Griswold family Christmas turkey. Um, if anybody remembers that, where they cut the turkey and it just, you know, and it was like dusty and they're chewing on it. We don't want that, but so that's going to happen. Biggest thing is it's Tuesday morning. If your bird's frozen, it should have been out probably yesterday. Get it out now, and I'll have this out very early for people. So, you know, two full days, you you, you should be good. Um Let's move on to some other things then. So, one of the things that I've done this year, and I know you've started to, to actually move toward, you know, reducing the gluten and all, but I've done in recent years is I've gone very paleo. And of course, um, I am not a purist and I, I'll eat some potatoes and things like that on, on Thanksgiving. Um, I'll limit my intake because last year I'm like, boy, I've got this coming to me. And on the next day I was like, boy, did I have that coming to me? And I, I didn't feel really good after eating that much bread. So, I'd like to do a somewhat paleo-ish stuffing this year, and I was thinking something with sausage and chestnuts or something like that. Do you have any ideas around that?
0: Yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. And, and yeah, usually when you when you uh, have a meal like that, that where there's a lot of starch, it's uh, it is easy to get that. You know, that's where most people. It's not from eating the turkey and the gravy, but they eat so much. Potatoy stuff, and you know, a big—you eat two or three giant scoops of stuffing with, with all that bread, and then a couple of big scoops of mashed potatoes, and you're going to get that kind of Thanksgiving knockout punch where you're just laid out. But yeah, you know, there's a there's lots of things to do, and that's a good idea. But you know, people could use Jerusalem artichokes in, in place of uh, potatoes.
1: Oh, hold on. Let's let's. uh Oh, OK. Potatoes. I was getting excited. I was thinking we we're going to do some Jerusalem artichoke stuffing because, buddy, I got some artichokes But instead of potatoes. That's we'll definitely do that. I'm sorry
0: to cut you off. No, no, no. That, that's actually I was it.
1: excited. I was like, Am I might do because I, like, they get kind of mushy if they're in there too long. So how would you do? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they how would they would work out with stuffing. But, you know, uh, th- the one thing is people have been so trained where, you know, it's stuffing you have to go and buy a bag of stale bread and that's got to be you know 80 percent of your stuffing and um i mean you can have stuffings that are you know virtually a hundred percent um everything but bread and and they're delicious and we've we've done this before where you know we'll make mirepoix, which is um celery carrot and onion then we'll also add um bell peppers in there um Mushrooms, like a ton of mushrooms, a lot of spicy sage infused sausage, apples, stuff like that without mm. any breading at all. And, um uh, I mean, certainly the texture is going to be different, but, um, it can be wonderful. And, and, uh, lots of times we've done something just like that with ingredients like that and then used wild rice that, um, I think we got it from someplace up in Minnesota. Uh, through the mail and it was a really cool texture so it uh it had no no stale bread in it at all but lots of vegetables a pretty heavy sausage flavor and then a base of wild rice and uh we didn't cook it in the turkey we we cooked it separately and man that was probably one of the best best ones i've had in a long time i might yeah, have to apples, consider doing man. that again
1: now oh, you got me excited man i'm like and you know, call me crazy, but with as, as busy as things are going to be, if I'm going to use chestnuts, I'm thinking about spending the money and buying the ones that are already done. Um, that's one more thing to do this week. Um, but I, I think a lot of people like are intimidated by a chestnut because, like, how do you get it out of there? Do you got any thoughts on that?
0: No, it's it's a pain in the butt, like you said. Uh, I don't have a problem with <laughs> with getting the ones that are already done, and you know that's a good point because. You know, people tend to get a little ambitious sometimes and you know, going back to that to that uh theory of mise en Place, I mean you don't wanna get hung up and spend, you know, an hour or two, whatever, messing around with shelling those things where it might be easier just to go ahead and, and take a, a small shortcut like that and, and get them already done. So uh yeah, I I, I don't um uh, it was the same thing. We used to have these trees back home. I don't know if you've got them in Texas, but we'd get, we'd get so many walnuts hitting the ground that, uh, of course, back in when I grew up, we always had big trays of different types of nuts, but there were a lot of walnuts, uh, around for the holidays. So like people would be snacking on them. And, and I remember my mom sitting there and she'd be cracking them for hours. And yeah. What a major pain in the neck. Walnuts are my horses hated those walnuts. They're 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 hard. I mean, they could barely walk with all those walnuts. But yeah, it's just a pain in the neck. It really adds to the labor. I can tell you my grandmother's solution to the shell nuts for Thanksgiving
1: because she put out a big thing of nuts for people. Like you know, people are showing up before you're going to sit down and eat, and after you're you're watching football and you're you're full, but then you're still going to eat something more anyway. She put out a big thing of nuts. Friggin' two nut craggers in it, and one of those little things that you pull the nut meats out with. If you wanted nuts, you get your own.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: Because <laughs> everybody doing a few is easier than one person doing a bunch.
0: Now, um, what um, what do you guys do with, with you guys being paleo now? Um, do you do any uh, sugary cranberry sauce at all? Or
1: We'll do cranberry sauce, and what I'll do is I just don't think it comes out right without sugar. Because it, you can sweeten them, but you don't get that. You know what I'm talking about. You're the chef. So there's a consistency that you're looking for when you, you know, you you simmer them till they pop and it kind of gels up. So what I'll do is I'll cut the sugar back by half and then I'll taste them and I'll bring the taste up to where I think it's balanced with stevia. So there'll be some sugar, but I'll reduce the sugar usage because you're making a syrup. Right. Kind of with that. And, the, the, so the sugar in something like a cranberry sauce, to me, is not just a taste; it's a consistency issue. And uh, you know, I, I don't think okra slime is going to pull it off, or something like that. So I have to do it
0: with something. Yeah, no, that's exactly true. And and um, when uh when you cook those cranberries, I mean, they do have a lot of pectin in them. And when those, when those things burst and the the pectin comes out, it still um, helps to for those things to set up properly. And I've tried it where we've reduced the sugar. You know, down to nothing, but you wind up with something that's just overly tart where people just can't eat it and then it doesn't gel or set up properly. So, yeah, you do need the sugar.
1: So, what I'm saying is, like, let's say you were doing enough cranberries, your recipe called for a cup of sugar. I guess that's quite a bit, but just so make it simple. Half cup of sugar, make it, make it look the way you want it, get it to where you know it's done, taste it. And then I use liquid stevia. Uh, I have advice for anybody. Truvia and the generic versions of it are not Stevia. Um, they are uh, Stevia plus other artificial sweeteners. And the only way I've found to get Stevia where it's pure Stevia is liquid. And you take your little liquid dropper and you put a couple drops in and you mix it up and you taste it and you go, yeah or no. And you put one more drop and do it a drop at a time. It's extreme. I mean, one drop in a cup of coffee. I don't even sweeten coffee anymore. My wife uses one drop in a cup of coffee and to me, it tastes way too sweet. So, you can bring that balance back to anything with sugar, and cut that sugar back, and and then bring the sweetness around with the stevia. That's that's been my easiest cheat. And again, I'm not a purist, so it's it's freaking Thanksgiving, man. I'll throw a quarter cup of sugar in with the cranberries.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree. It is. I mean, we we certainly don't worry too much about that and, and that's funny you mentioned that
1: you want to go on how to make cranberry sauce because it's so freaking easy and you know it makes me think of so one of my thanksgiving traditions is i don't care that i'm an adult every thanksgiving they put on charlie brown christmas and i freaking watch it and i remember in there the one part where the kid's going to make the cranberry sauce and it just opens the can and dumps it out of the can and that's and it's pretty much like a wont wall moment right so like to me, that's not cranberry sauce. That's uh, convoluted cranberry fructose jelly. So, but it's like the easiest thing in the world, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it, it's not difficult at all. And, you know, I definitely have, uh, years ago, we used, to, we used to have some of that stuff where <laughs> where you'd come out and it'd be the shape of a can, even with the lines in it. I mean, you talk about something somewhat artificial, but that stuff, yes, yeah, it's, is loaded with sugar. And uh, who the heck knows anymore what's in there? But making your own is so easy. I mean it's it's very simple and there is a segment on the on the uh Thanksgiving University about that but we we love doing that my um my bags of cranberries are sitting down there on the counter right now and uh this is something I'll definitely this is something that folks should very strongly consider making ahead of time because when you cook those cranberries and I've seen it happen before where people you know it's 2 hours before they're going to sit down and their the cranberry sauce is on the stove I and mean, that stuff's like molten lava afterwards very challenging to cool it down. You don't want to bring it to the table warm. And it's just one of those things that's so easy, it, it'll hold perfect. So it just makes sense to make it a few days ahead. But basically what we do is we take a pretty heavy um, stock pot that's got a tight-fitting lid. We throw two bags of those cranberries in there. We take an orange, and I'll zest uh, the orange completely, get as much zest off as possible, throw the zest in there, then I'll cut it in half, juice it, I put about uh, three-quarters of a cup of sugar for two um, bags. That's two pounds. And then I'll put um, fresh nutmeg, probably a teeny bit of clove, and I think, yeah, that's it. And then I'll just uh, I'll cover that, bring it up to a boil, and then turn it down. And you check on it, and it doesn't take very long for those things to uh, pop open. Give them a good stir, and you want to put a little salt in there, too. A lot of people don't think... You know why would they want salt in there, but that makes everything taste so much better and uh the orange really does well with that and if you don't like cloves, you don't have to put cloves in there. If you don't like nutmeg, you know leave that out. The one thing I don't do is put cinnamon in there. I don't think cinnamon is is good in in um cranberry sauce, but that's about it and I cook it for i don't know forty five minutes, and then we'll take it, and we just dump let it cool off a little bit, dump it out onto aluminum. Sheet tray or two and then, uh, just give it five minutes on the counter. We cool it off and then scrape it into a, um, you know, a, a, some kind of a storage container. And then, uh, on Thanksgiving, it's already done. You just take it out, let it come up to room temperature and you're, you're good to go. And it's, man, when people try that, they, they normally are not going to go back to the canned stuff, especially when they see how easy it is. I mean, it's, it's pretty much dump and cook. It doesn't take, uh, I mean, you need a zester, but it doesn't really take any culinary skills to make it, and it's just so much better. I remember years ago, I made I made that for uh, my wife's work. They had a Thanksgiving day where everybody brought in a dish, and and that's what we brought in was cranberry sauce. And for probably four or five years after that, after that, I'd get that email or call where people were looking for. The recipe for that cranberry sauce but yeah that's uh that's super easy and, and i love it but this year we're also we we canned up some applesauce from local apples that we picked from a friend's tree uh, but i'm also considering i need to visit the orchard um, we've got a lot of orchards here in the valley but they've got some some tartar varieties out that weren't available a few months ago and uh, i want to do some roasted sort of like Roasted apples. You ever go to like yeah, a meat? I was going
1: to go there if you didn't. Um, you got me thinking when you started talking that way. Apple um, apple pie's a big thing, but as a paleo person, I, I honestly would rather go ahead and break down and eat some sugar than a bunch of starch and wheat. And it seems like we could do something with baking some apples that would be a lot more closer to sort of kind of paleo without all that starch
0: no definitely yeah and uh i'm the same way now that we've kind of uh not kind of we've gone gluten-free so yeah we don't wanna we don't want all that you know all that sugar we don't want all that crust and uh this is a great way like there's there's restaurants back in the south where and i guess they call them stewed apples yeah uh, it's really interesting it doesn't take very long at all and uh there's two schools of thought i mean if you've got the right apple leaving the skin on is definitely an option, but, um, we'll probably peel. And we've got one of those, uh, peeler things. We'll peel the apples and then cut them into about eight pieces. So you've got some pretty good chunks and then basically put them in a pot with just a teeny bit of sugar, hardly anything, okay. a little bit of water, and then doesn't take very long. Definitely a touch of cinnamon, cook it down. And what I like to do is add some organic heavy cream to it. And okay. um, once once that cooks down a bit, and you don't want to cook it too, and this is the key, you can't kind of walk off because you'll, you'll make apple sauce very quickly. This is stewed yeah. apples, and um, it only takes maybe 15 minutes, 18 minutes, something like that. And if you use a good tart apple, it will retain its its uh, texture, and that is really delicious because when you cool that off, the cream in there and the pectin that comes out of the apples, it kind of, yeah, it's awesome, and it goes great with poultry. Really nice. You're bringing me a childhood memory,
1: and, so, and I've only ever done this in a campfire, so I have absolutely no idea how exactly you would do this temperature and time-wise in an oven because with the campfire, you throw it in there, and when it feels soft, it's done. We used to take apples on camping trips or fishing trips or whatever and cut the core out. And it works best if you, if you're a little bit skillful with a knife, you can kind of leave the bottom, you don't make a hole all the way through. But it doesn't really matter because you're going to foil wrap it anyway. Cut the core out of the apple. And this is a little unpaleo if you want to even say a little. Um, but you, you basically stuff it with some brown sugar and butter. Nice. And you roll that up in a, in a foil packet and you just throw it on the edge of the campfire on the coals. And you kind of turn it when you can squeeze it and it gives. You take those out, and you you know you just basically, if you want to eat the peel, you can. But usually what ends up happening is everybody like hollows it out. And, and that, that was always phenomenal. Now, when you're sitting in front of a campfire, you know, catching Northern Pike, and it's cool at night, and that's it, it, going to add something to it all by itself. But that would be kind of an interesting dessert, and it couldn't get more simple. But, again, uh, the only thing I can tell people is probably 350 degrees and feel it till it's soft. And I, I don't know what the time is.
0: Yeah, no, we um – we do things like that quite a bit, and that's a like you said, it's a really satisfying thing. And what we would use for that, you know, for for folks that are going to buy their apples at a store, a Granny Smith would be perfect. And basically, mm-hmm. just leave the skin on, put the oven at about 325 preheated, but cut the top off, and then take a melon baller or like some people have those grapefruit spoons that are a little sharp. But you yeah. just take if you've got a melon baller, it's perfect. And if you cut off the top. You know, about a good quarter inch, maybe almost a half inch off the top. Then use that melon ball or you can scoop out the entire seed pocket. And then I like to take uh nuts, raisins, cinnamon, and um a touch. Like when I say a touch, maybe a half a teaspoon of maple syrup. Pour that in there and then fill it very slowly with that, again, wonderful organic heavy cream. And then, you know, make a tray of those. Put them in a baking dish and put them in the oven about twenty five minutes and uh The idea is not for them Well, there's to, your
1: number then folks twenty five minutes would work for that. It probably would work for what i 'm saying too then
0: yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's an awesome dish, I man particularly if you cook them, you know the skins will get a little wrinkly, but they 'll still be standing up and uh for a dessert oh man that's that's heaven on a plate, particularly somebody that's watching you know doesn 't want a typical sugar bomb American dessert. That's a really great thing to have, and you cut that thing in half, and uh, maybe pour a little cool cream on the top of it. It's money. Yeah, really gonna make,
1: I'm going to make one of those this time around. That, that you've got me sold. And I think if the person wants a little bit of a crunch to it, you can do some soaked toasted oats, yep. like a kind of granola topping, and then you've you've soaked them. You've done the the, the Weston Price thing with them, and and you know you're not you're not glutening up the world or anything, so. There's always ways around these things if we get a little bit creative. And the reason I'm covering some of that is because we have so many people in the audience who have either gone gluten free or have stepped all the way across to the dark side and gone paleo. Um, another thing that happens at Thanksgiving is not just Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving's like, it's like a holiday time, right? And for us, it's like I, I close down like midday on Wednesday and I'm done. And I don't do nothing till Monday. And like I was saying in the beginning, we have kind of some fractures in the family, and people want to go here, and, you know, this person's mom always does Thanksgiving, so she expects the family to go there, and nobody wants to – so everybody does it. And then you end up with, like, not everybody in a family being together for Thanksgiving but being in the same area, and then you do things like, you know, Saturday get-togethers and all for the people that misconnected. And there's a lot of leftovers. But one of the things I see happen a lot is that's where somebody breaks out the freaking ham, man. You're going to have a ham. And it's gonna be sitting there while the college football games are on Saturday. And you just grab pieces of it. But I think there's this culture of, like, everything must be cooked uh massively. And I've seen so many people, like, bake a freaking ham for, like, four hours. So if they're going to put ham next to the turkey or do ham for follow-up or, hell, we're going in at Christmas and hams are big then, did you talk about not destroying and ruining a perfectly good ham?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And uh I've seen the the same thing where I don't know, people wanna they wanna cook it to death. I mean these things uh they don't need a lot of time in the oven. You're basically uh, warming them through. I mean, we're not.
1: It's ho- it's it's cured. It's done. Yeah. It, it, it
0: cold. Yeah. We're not talking about a fresh ham. We're talking about a, a, you know one of these spiral hams, which can be pretty good. Now, the first, the very first piece of advice I would give is immediately, don't waste one second. Take that packet of crap that they give you. They call it a glaze. I mean, yeah. that is just lazy man's poison. Just throw that stuff out because it is so simple um to to whip up a little glaze you put your your ham in there and again you just want that thing to come up in temperature now if you've got a um a probe that's the perfect thing one of those probe thermometers you um put it down into that ham make sure you're not touching the bone if there's one in there which there usually is and then um you know connect it to your digital unit you just want that to come up to about 165 degrees you, you don't need it to be in there too long But then you can make a glaze so simply by taking um, a little bit of what I would do for the glaze is take some uh, orange and, again, start with some zest, some orange juice, a little bit of seasoning, a little bit of salt, um, probably nutmeg, and then um, I'd probably do just a teeny bit of chicken broth and some salt and pepper, bring that up to a boil, and then do a cornstarch slurry or arrowroot, but just thicken it up a little bit. And when your turkey, excuse me, when your ham is about done, just take some of that and pour it on top. Put it back in the oven for a few minutes for it to sort of caramelize a bit. And, uh, that, that can be awesome. And man, ham rocks. And it is, it is nice and portable. I, I love that type of ham. The next day, I like to fry it in a pan and have it with eggs. It's so good with a little of that sweetness to it
1: um you you mentioned a little bit about the stuffing um and we talked about apples and stuff, stuff like that do you have like a, a go-to stuffing recipe for folks
0: yeah well the the stuffing that i grew up with which i really like um it had bread in it it had um mirepoix, which is celery carrot and onion plus green pepper it had uh, a sage sort of a, a sage not a hot sausage, but sort of middle of the road. And then it had a lot of apples in it. And then it was uh, moistened up with chicken broth. But this year without the gluten or even before I went gluten free down in the south, um, they would do really great cornbread, um, stuffings. And that's something that, um, is pretty, is pretty great. I like a cornbread stuffing. I also like stuffing that has a lot of, um, mushrooms in it. But um, this year we'll probably, you know, steer completely clear of, of the gluten and just have a very moist uh, stuffing. And, and um, we were fortunate enough to get some here in Montana, man, the local food scene is great, but we're able to get some local pork um, raised about 50 miles away and then make my own sausage, which is super simple. And I'm not putting it in any casings, so I'm just mixing it up. And okay,
1: good. Do that. Just let's do, the, let's do the sausage recipe that you make yourself.
0: Sure. Well, I take um, pork butts uh, exclusively, the Boston butt or the shoulder, and then um, I'll grind that up, and then I make a spice mixture, and that has there's quite a few spices in it. And, um, I've got it written down somewhere, but one of the key things is toasted fennel, so I'll get uh, fennel seeds. I'll toast those fennel seeds. Um, It's got hot red pepper, cumin, and then I add a a selection of the harvest-eating seasoning, some of that northern Italian, some of the grilled chicken, some of the steak, not a lot, just a little bit of the steak. Then I'll add cumin, um, dried garlic, and that's not something that I use a lot of, but I'll use some uh, powdered dry garlic, some onion, and then quite a bit of um, rubbed sage. And I'll take, you know, for about, I'm, I'm trying to think, for about, last time I made it, we made about 14 pounds. Okay. And I had about a pound and a half of seasoning for 14 pounds. And that I did put in casings. And, man, that came out so good. I mean, those are incredible. And I didn't use any saltpeter in there at all, none of the... Um, you know, the curing agents. I I didn't use any of the, the pink salt, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, it came out really, really good. And I was, I was actually with a friend who makes, who's, who had, a who has, um, a professional, you know, grinder, a big one. He could do hundreds of pounds at a time. And he, had, he had a, you know, the thing to, for the casings and, and everything. And he, uh, he would actually add wheat gluten to his sausage. And that's something for the the people out there that, that, you know, you're eating a sausage and you don't read the label, you think you're, you're just getting meat. But, uh, just about all the commercial brands anymore will use quite a bit of wheat gluten in there. And that's powdered gluten, man. That's, if you, if you, if you're sensitive to that, uh, that's gonna throw you over the edge. The other thing is most of them have corn syrup in there and quite a few different preservatives. But making it from scratch, if you can get a pork butt and, um, you know, maybe you've got one of those KitchenAid mixers with the grinding attachment, you can grind that up and add a selection of the spices anybody that wants the exact mix that i use um they can email me Keith, at com. i'm happy to send it over but uh spicing up your own sausage and then you know just patting it out and using that you know you, you'd have it in patties and you could um just sear it off a little bit chop it up mix it with apples all those other vegetables that i talked about and if you could take some some cornbread and some mushrooms, you could make an awesome stuffing like that. And, you know, you don't have to, uh, do it on the side. I mean, I recommend if you're, you know, if you're a little iffy, you know who you are. If you're kind of an iffy cook out there and you're not a hundred percent certain your turkey is thawed out. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stuff it. I'd just cook it on the side. But, you know, a lot of people take these muslin bags nowadays and they'll, they'll take their stuffing, which is basically cooked. They'll stuff it into a bag. So it's hot, and then they'll put that into the cavity of the turkey. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely avoid um, – what's that stuff? You know, Stouffer's, those dried-up bread crumbs. That have, top. Man, that stuff is bad.
1: top stubbing or the bags of the stuff that's – you know, you just buy. See, I'll end up making that, and I'll tell you why. Because my wife and my son will want that. And no matter what I do – They'll want that, so I'll make some of that. But the good news with that is basically you boil some chicken stock and mix it up, and if you want to, you can bake it so the top gets a little crisp and you're done. So it's not a big deal to make. But I really enjoy stuffings with more character to them. Another thing I've done with stuffing is I've used pecans in stuffing. And, uh, you know, pecans are kind of an expensive nut, but the good news is, like the pieces when they go to shell them that don't come out in nice pretty halves are pretty cheap, and that's perfect for a stuffing. So I've done pecans and stuffing, and to me that just, it has this
0: like little nutty thing going on there. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, that's a a neat uh, addition for sure. And I know my uh, in-laws, and I don't know if they'll ask me to do it, but um, they they would always do two stuffings, and and it was kind of weird, but the first time I ate Thanksgiving over at my in-laws' place, they'd have a, you know, just a standard stuffing. And then they do one where they cooked it and the top was like literally burnt. Um, like really, I mean, taking crispy to closer to burnt. And that's cause my father-in-law, you know, if there's burnt toast, he wants it. You know, any, anything that's super, you know, the <laughs> heel of the bread that's like just about burnt, that's what he loves. And they would always serve that, uh, that one stuffing that was, you know, cooked in a, in a casserole dish. And it was uh, not burnt, but it was darn close—super, super dark brown. And I got to tell you, it, it, it was interesting. It had a great crunch to it. But that's when we were we were eating the gluten. And I got to be careful because when my in-laws come in town, they're both uh, born and raised in Europe—one in Germany and one in England—and man, they um, they eat a lot of bread. And I've already uh, called up the French bakery up in Missoula. And, uh, reserved, uh, four baguettes and then, uh, three. They make a really terrific German rye. So my, uh, father-in-law, he'll be noshing on baguettes and German rye, like, right in front of me for the next two weeks. It's gonna be very difficult to avoid it. But, yeah, I think, uh, it is a challenge to, to make some of these type recipes that where there's so much history and there's so much, uh, tradition of, you know, like you were mentioning, having it in the um you're getting the, the the pre-mixed one that's because it's got a it does taste good and one thing it does have is a lot of sage in there um yeah and that's
1: a well, traditional stuffing was basically you took the, the leftover bread you, you cubed it up and you let it go stale and then you made stuffing out of it and it would i mean not thanksgiving something stuffing period that that's it was a bread product
0: right yeah and it's um uh, you know it's it's yummy for sure I, but i for me the the thing that stands out from my childhood with my mom being italian is the the uh the kind of taste of that italian sausage that she used to put in there with the apples i mean that had a very very distinctive it wasn't really about the bread it was more about that sausage apple flavor and uh that was a uh, that was always great for thanksgiving but man the next day when you'd make those Thanksgiving sandwiches, having that, that stuffing on there. Oh man. I, I think there could be a restaurant that's, you know, simply the, the Thanksgiving sandwich. Cause it, that's such a great thing. Do you, uh, do you like to have a sandwich afterwards?
1: Yeah. Yeah. See see then you're back to gluten though, but yeah, the, the, the turkey and stuffing what we used to do in our days of like just totally obliterating our bodies was you take, this isn't really a sandwich. It's kind of like Turkey all a King meets Thanksgiving. You take toast you bread and you toast it till it's golden brown, like a big thick piece of homemade bread that's just just did enough to get in the toaster, and you put that on the bottom and then you put a lump of stuffing on there, and then you put some cubed up leftover turkey on top of that, and you drench the whole thing in gravy mm. and and that <laughs> <laughs> that
0: sounds awesome, man,
1: yeah, and then you're sick for like four hours, you know, but it's almost <laughs> worth it.
0: Yeah, but they'll tell you, that's the tryptophan in the turkey. <laughs> no, that's oh, all the damn bread well, and it potatoes.
1: It, and they – they cal- I don't remember what. It was some stupid number, but the average American eats, like, this ridiculous number of, of calories at Thanksgiving. I think it's, like, three times what you need in a day in one meal. And they had all of the test subjects eat a traditional Thanksgiving meal, and they had that same, you know, sleepy, nappy, tired, lethargic feelings – they let them all, you know, purge out for a couple of days and come back to normal. And then they had them eat all the stuff minus the turkey, but keep the caloric intake up. They had the exact same response to it. Yeah. It's, it's total calories. And they said it's not even just a bread, starch, food. It's just, if you suck down 8,000 calories in a meal, you're not going to feel good.
0: No, that's, that's true. And if you think about, uh, and it's wonderful to think about, but, you know, turkey is, uh, a good turkey that's that's juicy, there's quite a bit of fat in there. And then the gravy's got a load of fat. If you have potatoes, there's a lot of cream and butter. I mean, just about everything is super high calorie. And I think that's the other thing is you're mixing so many things. You know, like the plate is just like an extravaganza because there's cranberry, there's turkey, there's gravy, there's mashed potatoes, there's stuffing, there's sweet potatoes, there's green beans with butter on them. Yeah. All these different foods. I think your your stomach and your brain is saying, "Whoa, what the hell just happened?" Well, here's the
1: problem. I think we've lost what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is supposed to basically be a three day festival, ending with church on Sunday and then continuing till Monday, right? This because like tomorrow after this airs, what people are going to hear is the Thanksgiving special and hear me tell the story of the Genesis. An origin of Thanksgiving, and yes, going back to the Pilgrims, but what it was like in this country, um, you know, you didn't just jump in a car and drive down to Aunt Sue's four and a half hours away and then come home, you know, that night. That When people did travel, there was a big deal, or like big families, when they, you know, this was going into winter, and it was a reassurance that everything's going to be okay, we're going to get through. So at the time when you should be basically storing as much as you can, you have a feast, then it lasted days. And it would start in the morning and it would go through. So all of these different dishes were originally designed to be eaten over the course of several days. And then we've got into the single plate theory, right? We cram all of this crap on one plate. We shove it down in time to watch the beginning of the football game um, or, you know, rating right like when the first game's over to make sure we're there for the second football game. And then you wonder why you feel this way. And it's like why I'm actually encouraging people this year to try to, if you know not everybody can with modern schedules, but if you can make this a multi day thing, you can have a lot more enjoyability out of it. And if you don't if you don't destroy your body on the first day, you can enjoy kind of this whole weekend thing. And a lot of this food is really good the second day.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And um you know, after the big meal when everybody's stuffed, there's always dessert too. And that's Yeah, you know, you know when you when that dessert Time comes around you're already stuffed, you already don't feel good, and then you you know then you have cheesecake or pumpkin pie i mean it it is a recipe for some a- upset stomachs but yeah that that's a it's a good point because it it is for for me anymore it's about you know it's about family getting to see relatives and and spending like you said you know roll up the carpets on wednesday and, and just you know, it's such a good feeling. I'm already happy. I told my kids this morning, I said, this is a short week this week, guys. You know, just a couple of days of work, and, and then we're focused on family and, um, you know, for us, fireplaces and um, just relaxing. Our, the in laws are going to be in town. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, going to play ice hockey uh, Wednesday. Awesome. So awesome. It's, we're not
1: uh, that cold, but we might actually fire up the wood stove. I mean, it's, but by, by, by Thanksgiving, it's supposed to be back in the 50s. Right now, like our highs are in the low 30s, which is really rare for us this time of year. But it's kind of fitting that this week be a little cold and rainy and, and make you want to be home. I think that people spend too much time not at home or in – home is maybe the wrong word because you might go to your relatives. and You're not in your home, but you're at the family home, somebody's home, instead of, you know, Black Friday shopping and beating somebody to death over an iPad.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, uh, looking like we're gonna get 43 partly cloudy for Thanksgiving Day. So that's, uh, that'll be a good day. I know I'll, I'll drag my father-in-law, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go for a walk and, uh, we'll walk, you know, two and a half miles, which will, will result in him taking a nap on the couch afterwards. But yeah, it is, it's a, it's a great holiday and, uh, I just love this time of year. I love, I love the preparations, um, you know, and for, and for us, the more things that we can, we can get locally just makes it feel, you know, closer to the Pilgrim times because they, they certainly didn't go to Safeway and buy their turkey. You know, no. they, <laughs> they did something about uh, it.
1: But you know what the, the Pilgrims did do? They made beer. <laughs> they made beer out of acorns because they were afraid to drink water because they came from Europe. And that brings us into a totally other spectrum of Thanksgiving, the adult beverages. And if I take it too extreme, they really can add a lot, especially as a chef. I'm sure you're pretty fond of what wine can do with food. Um, so you could talk about maybe some wine selections to go with your
0: Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, this is a, certainly a household where, where people like, like adult beverages. I don't drink a lot, but my wife likes wine and my, my in-laws too. And, you know, Traditionally around Thanksgiving, because you're having such fatty type foods um and poultry, a lot of people will go towards those, you know, sweeter German wines, um, which are great. But um I don't see a reason not to drink a good um red wine as as well. And then you know, what about beer? Locally here, I mean in our teeny little town, we've got two brew and then they're not really breweries, they're kind of they call them like uh tasting rooms. But they uh they brew some terrific beers and, uh, one place has got excellent, you know, seasonal offerings. So we will for sure get one or two, uh, they call them growlers of, uh, local beer. So we'll have beer, wine. I doubt we'll, this year, I don't think we'll have any, uh, sweet white wine, but we'll have a, a collection of reds, probably a Pinot Noir, which, you know, most, most people would throw their nose up and say it doesn't go with uh, with turkey, but heck, I mean anything you really like. But yeah, for sure, you got to have some some good uh, libations. And and this year, I'm looking forward to getting um, some nice beer because they've got well, some you know, awesome. And when beer.
1: everybody's when everybody's really full from the meal, and you're there into the evening, and you're watching the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving or the football game or whatever. You know wine and beers can be paired with things like smoked meats, sausage and cheeses. And that may be a little bit, you know, like you're 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 picky and you'll eat a little bit more because you've subsided from the gorging, but maybe it's it's a better choice in some ways than, you know, a piece of cheesecake.
0: No, I yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Yeah, that that's a uh, And again, the kind of the whole having the European in-laws, they they've always done a lot of that where you know, there'll be little pickings, you know, whether it be cheese and olives and bread and wine. But that can make uh, that can make a lot of fun after the meal as well. And, uh, you know, we're we're not going to have if anything's got gluten, we're going to be avoiding it. So uh the big dessert tray, you know, I don't know, cheesecake without that graham cracker crust for me is it, why bother? So I don't think <laughs> we're going to have any. I don't
1: know, man. I like the, the the middle part of that thing pretty well, <laughs> um, you know. Um, but for people that are, 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 you know, we've talked a lot about the paleo non gluten thing. Uh, for people that are going to, you know, do traditional stuff, one of the most traditional things in the world uh, for Thanksgiving is potatoes. And, um uh, you, you've talked before about how to make mashed potatoes that don't suck. So if people want to know how to do that, they can listen to one of your prior episodes. But could you talk about maybe something beyond mashed for potatoes? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, rosemary and potatoes just so natural and they fit kind of alongside of there. So you might go there, you might go a different
0: way. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's a good question. And one of the things that kind of ticks me off, but we had done a video, um, I think it was last year sometime about uh, this dish called lard-roasted potatoes. And Mm. this is something that... I mean, you want to talk about very few ingredients, but it's all about the technique here. And and, uh, this is a recipe that comes from my German mother-in-law. And and for a holiday like Christmas, where you've traditionally got a standing rib roast, you're going to have some beef gravy, or Thanksgiving where you have some turkey gravy, these are awesome. And we'll definitely have these. This requires a uh, russet style potato um, which has a higher starch content and what what we do to make this is we'll take you know average size russet potatoes uh, we'll peel them and then cut them in half uh, lengthwise so you'll have two kind of like uh, football shapes that are cut in half and then what we do is once we have a you know probably 10 potatoes and so you'll have 20 halves you take them and you have a good couple gallons of boiling salted water and you drop them in but you've got to be right there cuz it's you got to set a timer 2 minutes you leave them in there for 2 minutes and you know I'm not exactly sure uh chemically or you know physics wise why you need to do this step but my mother-in-law always does this and I've tried to make them by not doing this and they don't come out. So you gotta.
1: I, I don't know either. It's something to do with the starch because I know what you're gonna say happens. And my my partner in business, Neil from the UK, taught me when to do roasted potatoes to always give them that, that pre boil and something very cool happens. I can't explain it either.
0: Yeah, no. And i again, I've tried it figuring, ah, I don't need to do all these steps, but it won't come out, won't get the crispness, but two minutes in there and then you fish them out. We usually just fish them out with like a, a handheld strainer, and then what we do is we take a, a large, you can't have these things uh, piled on top of each other. They've got to be sort of single layer or single file on a, on a sheet tray, but we'll take a, a sheet tray or a baking dish that's got some sides, and we'll take good lard, and this is where you can't skim. you got to take that lard, and what we do is melt the lard. We'll pour some lard in the bottom, and then layer the potatoes in there, and then, um, spoon melted lard over the potatoes and then she just salts them but i pepper them too so a little salt and pepper and more than you think you need because that salt it really does something to them then they go into a 350 degree oven and after about 35 minutes they'll start to get good and golden brown and then we'll uh, pull the tray out flip them over and i will um, usually just take a, a hot pad and lift it up. That way some of the lard will kind of collect at the bottom. I take a spoon and I'll re them or drizzle more lard over the potatoes. I'll season the second side with a little salt and pepper and they go back in. But you're looking for them to get really dark and um, not crispy but close to it. So they should get a really dark roasted brown color. And these things, not only will the house just smell amazing, that – that lard flavor and that aroma is it's special but um, these potatoes are they're incredible because they just they love to soak up the gravy and that's one plus they're easier in my opinion than messing around with uh mashed potatoes so i really love those lard roasted potatoes and i think folks should give them a try and you're basically looking at three ingredients you know potatoes lard and a little you know seasoning salt and pepper but um, it's something where if you give it a try, I think it will wind up on a lot, of, a lot of people's plates year after year once they try it.
1: For the person that wants to do something similar with Jerusalem artichokes, what would you advise there?
0: Um, I would probably peel them, dice them into maybe one-inch dice, and I would do a little bit of melted butter, a little bit of olive oil, and then I would either choose uh, fresh thyme, Or fresh rosemary. And if it was rosemary, I would mince it up really fine. Um, Salt and pepper. Toss the herbs in there. And then, again, in a single layer, I'd roast them in the oven. And just watch them when they start to get that wonderful color to them. They're great like that. Awesome. You could also use a little bacon fat or bacon grease um, in place of the butter. So a little olive oil and bacon grease with either thyme or rosemary, salt and pepper, and use a good coarse salt. Don't use that iodized junk. Use, you know, like a Morton kosher salt is great.
1: Um, on kind of a, a, a final note, um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, because like I said, people can learn to cook the turkey um, with your turkey course. And maybe you have this in there, but it might be a good thing to finish up with anyway, because a lot of people maybe at least can make a decent turkey. But I'll tell you where the problem comes. That turkey comes out of the oven. It's screaming hot, and people want to serve it hot, so they cut it hot, which is a problem in and of itself. And the other thing that happens is people end up totally butchering the turkey. So could you kind of talk about, about how to get that bird from that big, beautiful, golden thing to something you can put on the table, and people can just have at it? Because the other thing that's, you know, the family tradition is dad carves the turkey on the table. And then, you know, it, that doesn't really work that well either, because... You know, there's 20 people waiting for their piece of turkey, and it makes more sense to bring it out where it's easy for people to partake. So could you talk a little bit about that presentation?
0: Yeah, that, that's <laughs> uh, that's an excellent question, and it's, you know, if you really, and again, that's why I talk about mise en place, and it's not just having everything in its place. It's also spending a little time thinking about something like, you know, the question you just asked is such a good question. If you spend some time to think about the things that you said in the question, you'll you'll agree that, number one, let's just say Dad is a masterful culinarian and he can carve a turkey like crazy. Um, when he brings that thing out to the table, after the, the one or two oohs and ahs, it looks golden brown, delicious, let's say you've got 10, 12 people there. It is going to take a long time for everybody to get turkey on their plate because if he you know, slices one, to, and then he puts it on a plate and then you're passing it down and i mean it, it's it could be 20 minutes before everybody gets served but the reality of it is is dad in most cases probably doesn't know that much about carving a turkey and a lot of people will bring a turkey you know in in some type of a roasting dish or something with sides and then you know you've got somebody and, and again it's ripping hot like you said and they're trying to cut it and they're just hacking the crap out of it and then you've got everybody waiting the better plan all around and i'm convinced of this because we do it i remember my dad um you know doing the same thing where you'd get pieces of turkey where one side of it was a half an inch thick and then it would go to a paper thin on the other end it's just not that good what i recommend is taking um Take your turkey out of the oven when it's done. And, and I do cover this in the audio series, but you don't want to cook that turkey past 165. Do not do not let that pop-up timer come up. That thing is designed to um, make sure that everything is dead, including the flavor, the moisture. and You will have a dry turkey. If that thing pops up, usually it's 185, 190 degrees along that, those lines. You've got a dry turkey. 165, take the turkey out. And then you've got it in a roasting tray with all that beautiful drippings and the fond, the stuff on the bottom that you can use for your gravy. Take the turkey out and be careful because it's very hot. It's heavy. Uh, if you need to have somebody help you, great. But get that thing onto a cutting board. And then what I do is I keep heavy-duty aluminum foil. And that's the one that's like 24 inches wide. We buy them at the club stores. So go and get heavy-duty aluminum foil. And then we're not cheap. We'll pull out you know, three or four big sheets of that. We'll lay it down. Turkey goes on top. We fold up the edges. Then we put a few layers of that on top. And so the turkey's completely encased in the foil. And then we'll take usually just a bath towel, fold it in half and tuck the turkey in. So he's completely wrapped up. Put that off to the side, let it rest. And then you go about making your gravy with with the rest of that. So once your gravy is worked, your turkey's going to stay nice and hot. Um, because it's encased like that. Now, when it comes time to carving it, what I do, uh, without the pressure um, of having, you know, 15 people staring at you waiting for their slice of turkey, you take that turkey and you remove the breasts. And I'll remove the breasts in uh one piece. So I'll have uh, two sides of the breast. They'll come off in two perfect pieces. And then I've got a sharp knife, and I'll slice them um, into really uniform slices. So you'll have two breasts that are sliced up into pieces with the skin on. And then I take a big platter. So I'll take that long, one long breast. I'll put it on the platter, and it's, it'll um, curve slightly because it's a curved platter. Then the other half will go on the other side. And then in the back, I'll just remove the legs. Um, you just carve the legs off.
1: Oh, I will stop you there just so people get this, because I know what you're saying is some people might not, because everybody slices the friggin' turkey like slicing it off from the side you're boning out the whole side of the breast and putting it down and then slicing it that way and that is so much easier and i just want to make sure people aren't missing that that is what you're doing
0: yeah and and the way you you do it if you look down on that cooked turkey the legs are facing away from you um so you're looking down the, the ends of the legs are pointing away you'll take your knife and you'll find the the top of the breast bone and you'll slice right next to it and just Keep slicing down, and then you'll cut underneath and around, and it'll come off in uh, one big piece. So it's completely boned out, but you've got the, the skin and the entire half of the turkey breast. So you do that for both sides, slice it up, and then I'll take the legs, and I'll leave those pretty much intact, cut those off, and the two legs will stick off the back of the platter. And then I'll peel as much juicy dark meat as I can, from the carcass, and I'll put that um, sort of towards the back as well, and then what we like to do is decorate. We take um, usually oranges, sometimes limes, cut them in half. They're not going to be eaten. They're just there uh, for decoration. A couple of whole cranberries, put it around there, some oranges and limes, and then either stuff uh, fresh thyme or rosemary, sprigs, sort of underneath the oranges, and you bring that entire thing and that can be, once you get a carved like that, you can wrap the whole thing in foil. You don't want to leave it long, but you can tuck it in a warm oven for 15 minutes, um, but not much more than that. And this is why it's important to take the turkey out of the oven at 165. Don't cook it to 190. It's going to be too dry. But then when you bring it to the table, now, I mean, it can be passed around and people can get their, their uh, turkey off right away and they're not waiting for someone to, to hack the thing up. And uh you know, generally when you're just kind of cutting down on it like that, it, it it's a mess. So that's a great question and that's definitely how we do it. We remove those breasts and um I think I'm not sure if I've got a video on that. I don't I don't think I do, but you you should be able to find one on YouTube. And I might do some research, Jack, and send you a link.
1: Uh, That'd be great. So you yeah, can I'll put it sure in the I show notes. Do. It's the easiest way to do it. Um one last one on turkey that's something you probably don't get a lot. Because um, with my family, if, tur- if there was two options with turkeys, and one was with two legs and one was with four, um, we would have four-legged turkey. Um, my family, by and large, vastly pre- prefers dark over white meat. Uh, so the legs and the thighs get hammered um, to the exclusion of the breast. And one of the way, and, and then the breast is, you know, is since we don't dry it out and since we don't mess it up, it goes great with all those leftovers, and that's when everybody eats it. Um, but what I usually do is buy some extra drumsticks or thighs if I can find them. Um, any advice on how to cook those, you know, solo, but yet have them kind of fit in so they're not totally different?
0: Yeah, that's a, a great idea, and yeah, we... Like my wife and my in-laws, they're going to be they're going to be fighting over those two legs. So uh, we haven't seen any of the four-legged turkeys around here. So uh, you, you could buy some extra legs. And uh, what I would do is strictly roast them the same way. But I would make sure that they're um, rubbed with a little bit of oil, rubbed with some salt and fresh sage. And you can roast those things um, potentially in the same pan if you've got one um but that's how i would do it i would i would treat them just like you know almost like you're cooking drumsticks but um yeah that's uh that's a good idea That's something i've actually never done but that is a good idea because there's always that little mini war about who gets the the juiciest part and and your other point is good you know the breast is is uh, i think great for the sandwiches after so um, yeah, if you have a little extra dark meat, then you probably have a little extra white meat. And uh, you know, for us this year, eighteen pound turkey, that should um, that should produce a lot of leftovers and a lot of dark meat. So we're uh, and we're hoping this naturally raised turkey up here is gonna gonna have a good good portion of dark meat.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that one of the things that I've learned over the years is when you don't overcook the turkey. And when you don't cook the cut the turkey up when it's boiling freaking hot, the whole concept that the white meat is dry goes away. And I think that's why a lot of people gravitate toward that dark meat is because they cook it till that little plastic thermometer goes pop, and then that turkey comes out of the oven and is being sliced within fifteen minutes. And you know, you and I have talked about this. We both have a, a real like it just yeah, bugs us when, you know, some chef on TV says, you know, you let the meat rest so that the juice will go back in. It's just one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You let meat rest and the temperature come down so the viscosity of the oils and fats is reduced so it doesn't come pouring out when you cut into it. And what kills that white meat, because it's such a big honking honk, and it's the first thing people cut, right, is that meat is screaming hot, and the knife goes into it, and, and it works because it gets cut against the grain coming in from the side, and all those muscle fibers are open, and all that wonderful juice flies out of there. And if you'll do what we're saying and let that meat rest and remove it whole and then cut it you know, going in the direction of the breast, I think that meat ends up being a lot juicier, especially on the second day. If you think white meat that's not taken care of right is dry on day one, try that sucker out of the refrigerator the next day. But you know, think about the fact you go to a deli and buy sliced, you know, real turkey, not that pasted together stuff, and it's not dry, and it's because that meat's not cut, you know, opening up that grain while that meat's hot.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of the the moisture in a turkey, uh, when you cut it like that, when it's ripping hot, a lot of the you know, the the juice just evaporate right up. But that's a it's a great point. I mean, if you if you cook the turkey breast. If it's cooked until that thing pops up, I mean, I've seen it. I've been I've been over people's houses where, you know, and this is where you, you've got to think about how long this turkey is going to take to cook. I mean, I've I've been to Thanksgivings where, um, you know, you're going to eat at four thirty, and at eight o'clock in the morning they've got the turkey in the oven, and it's like what? You put the turkey in at, at eight in the morning, so the thing is like it's ten thirty and it's already done, and it's just got to. It just got to sit around getting dry and, you know, you go to slice it and you'll know, folks, uh if you slice the turkey and, you, and the breast and you can't get slices and it just turns into that grainy, you know, looks like pulled pork or, or worse, man, that's just overcooked. And I've seen it like that where someone is like, can you carve the turkey? And I go to carve it and I call the hostess over. I'm like, you know, this is not going to look pretty. This is this thing is so dry I can't even get the knife through without it just crumbling. But yeah, you, you can't overcook it. It's just is, it's that simple. Can't overcook it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's the two things: the overcooking and again the not the, the the thing with the hot meat. I I was guilty of that for years. I'm a I was a I'm like I am a reformed hot meat cutting addict. You know, <laughs> I guess I had this paranoia that when people sat down and I had worked so hard on food that I wanted it to be piping hot when I served it to them. And, you know, it was my, my, my business partner, Neil, that's like, you mustn't do that, you know? <laughs> and I don't know, it's something about, like, uh, some, for some reason for Americans, like, the one person that can usually get get through to us is somebody with a British accent. I guess that's why, like, every third spokesman in America on a, a commercial now is British. Yeah. Uh, whether they're selling food or bras, it doesn't matter. It's always a British person.
0: Yeah, they sound uh, smarter, yeah.
1: They sound smarter whether they are or not. Anyway, he got through to me, and because I used to be a terror to my family. I mean, steaks off the grill, anything. Sit down, eat, eat now. You know, like, and you let that meat rest, and things get so much better. Now, the other thing, and I know this is the one that, did, like, so we'll finish up with this, because I know this is the one that, like, torts you off. It's people that use the freaking little packet of gravy mix on a wonder. they've done everything else right, and then they make gravy out of a little packet. So could we finish up with how to make proper gravy?
0: Yeah, and that, uh, that is, uh, that's a killer, man. That's, a, that's on par with the, the ham glaze packet. Okay. Which is just, I mean, that stuff is not good. The only thing that I like about it is sometimes the color is nice, but I haven't used a packet like that in a long time and, and, uh, you yeah, don't buy those. And you know, the stores are guilty of that because they've got those packets of garbage, you know, on every end cap and, you know, they, they market that stuff. But to make your own gravy, once that turkey comes out of the oven um, and you remove it, like I said, you, you've you got the foil waiting there. You place it on the foil. You fold up the edges because you don't want that juice going all over your counter. And, you you know, you put the turkey to bed with the top covering of foil and the towel. Now you've got a bunch of juices in there, but you're also going to have a lot of fat. Now, there's definitely two schools of thought here. And I've seen some people, you know, with those ridiculous little, Plastic uh, fat removing things where they'll, you know, be pouring it in there and waiting for it just to get every little drop of fat off. I mean, a, a fat free gravy sucks. I mean, you want to have some fat in there. So uh, while it it does make sense to just it comes out of the oven, wait five minutes or so, and you can take a ladle and you'll see all the accumulated fat on top. You can spoon some of that fat off. Now I definitely wouldn't throw that out because you can do other things with it, I mean, if you got dogs, I mean, they're going to love that on their food. But there's a lot of uh, other culinary reasons thing, to save that.
1: One thing on the turkey fat, if you end up with a lot of it, and you're going to give it to your dogs, portion it out over a couple days. Yeah, otherwise you'll have... Uh, you, you will get something akin
0: to an oil slick deposited for you on your wonderful carpet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, that'll give them... That'll give them the runs quicker than anything. So, but yeah, they, so, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Portion <laughs> it out a teaspoon on a bowl of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, so gonna... you um, remove whatever fat you, you're comfortable in removing. Now you're gonna have, and, and we talk about dogs. My my Doberman Pincher, he's he's uh over here being a nuisance. But you um, you remove the fat. Now you've got a, a bunch of liquid in there. Now it's so simple from this point. What I like to do is. Um, evacuate that liquid and make sure you get everything that's in there. There'll be stuff stuck to the bottom. Use a whisk, um, get that all out, and put it into a sauce pot. Now, I like to, at that point, I'll put a piece of onion, um, a carrot, probably a piece of celery, uh, a bay leaf, and then a good amount of fresh sage will go into the pot, put a cover on it, bring it up to a boil, and then I will... um, Reduce it to a simmer and let it cook for just a little bit. When it comes to thickening the gravy up, there's really two schools of thought. And uh, I've done it both ways successfully. And that would be either using a cornstarch slurry, which is basically cold water and cornstarch. You mix it together until it's pretty thick. And once you take your stock, because without it being thickened, it's kind of a it's a stock and not a gravy. You reduce it to a simmer. And then while you're whisking, if you slowly pour this slurry mixture in there, it will start to thicken up for you. And then just some people like it, like glue. Other people like it a little more runny. That's one way to thicken it. The other way is what we used to do in the restaurant is just use a roux, flour and butter, and that's in equal parts. But for those of you that haven't made a roux before, this needs to be cooked. So you put in a sauce pot, equal parts, like uh, let's say a cup of flour, um, and and not – You want this to be by weight, so equal weight of flour and butter. You put that into a saucepan, you cook it a bit. You do not want to make um, a dark-colored roux. You want it to be sort of a, a blonde or maybe headed towards the peanut butter color, but no more than that. So then you take that mixture. Once you have that, you add that to your stock, and that will thicken up and turn into a gravy. A third option, I'll throw that out there, is something in the French kitchen called beurre and that is just plain old flour and then you take butter and you add it to the flour either by using a whisk or an easier way as the back of a a fork and just mix it in, mix it in until you have something that's cohesive and you can use that to thicken um, the gravy up. But the gravy is really simple and the, the other tip I would suggest is that Um, you know, I can't tell you how much liquid will be left over in your roasting dish. There's definitely some factors there. So I wouldn't. uh, And then some families, you know, go crazy with the gravy and some don't. If you happen to like a lot of gravy, I would have a good quality um, chicken broth or chicken stock that you've made yourself. Or if you need to buy one, some of those organic ones that come in the um, in the little aseptic boxes pacific brand is pretty good i would have some of that on hand just because if you don't have enough um gravy you don't want to go to a thanksgiving table with 12 people with you know a cup and a half of gravy because yeah. people are going to be sad so have some of that there but all of the stuff that's in the bottom of that roasting dish that's money i mean that's that's got a heavy heavy turkey flavor to it but um have some chicken broth or if you have some turkey bones and you can make some turkey broth you're just that much better off. Um, that way you can have the type of volume that you want for gravy. And that should be one of the very last things that you cook or towards the end is, is the gravy. And be careful with sodium because um, most people are gonna salt their, their turkey a bit and then they'll go to cook it and they'll add too much salt and oversalt the gravy. So you wanna you wanna definitely add some seasoning to it, but just make sure that you're tasting it throughout the process and then in the end you've got something that is uh well seasoned but not too salty. And definitely don't skimp on the sage because that's gonna really you know, you talked about how your your son and your wife like that um, you know, uh stove top stuffing. Yeah. That's got a heavy sage flavor. That's really the essence of Thanksgiving. So make sure that your gravy has got some sage and Um, You go to the store, you can either get fresh sage, which is great, or a product they call rubbed sage, and that's a dry product, and and that will give a pretty intense flavor, but um, that's pretty much how to make the gravy, and and, uh, man, that's kind of, you know, the turkey's big, but the gravy's huge, too.
1: Yeah, the gravy sells the turkey all the way through, you know, and uh but one thing we can't do is we can't fix a dry turkey with gravy. You can get it down your throat a little easier, but it doesn't really fix things. Um so make sure you follow Chef Keith's advice on the turkey. And dude, thanks for being with us. I know we went long today and I know you've got other things to do uh cuz it is your Super Bowl season. Uh but thanks for being with us and thanks for all you, all you all you do on the Expert Council as well
0: well i uh, I appreciate it jack and uh this is um this is a great audience and, and I really do like serving the audience and they're so uh supportive of harvest eating and and uh I just hope that uh everybody has a a terrific thanksgiving and remember folks if if you have um you know some questions don't feel um don't feel bad just reach out to me um keith at HarvestEating dot com or hit up the harvest eating facebook page it's facebook.com slash harvest and as a final reminder uh, on a separate note we're about to launch a, a new product line it's called thoughtful harvest and what we have is uh, we already have an olive oil out but we, we're coming out with three um, pasta sauces and these are um, premium sauces where all the ingredients are sourced within the united states most people don't know but a lot of food manufacturers are importing uh, onions and tomatoes and garlic from China, Mexico, South America, and they're just basically leaving American farmers out to dry. I mean, there's great onions and tomatoes. You don't need to be importing that stuff. So we've got a line of those products that are um, in pre-order status. You can order them right now on the Harvest Eating website, but they uh, they, they use great ingredients from small and mid-sized growers and co-ops, and uh, we're excited about that, and, and I think uh, your audience, uh, they definitely appreciate the spices and things that we sell that probably really like the sauces. But overall, I appreciate being a part of your audience, Jack. I love what you're doing. And, uh, thanks for having me on and, and, uh, have a great Thanksgiving.
1: Well, thanks for being here. And, uh, your sauces are awesome. The ones that you already have are awesome. And the ones that you're coming out with, I, I imagine will be equally awesome. And if I could throw one, like I do it all the time, but I'll throw in one more plug for your seasonings. um, they've radically changed how I cook. Uh, I, I do not go a week without using uh, one of your seasonings at least twice a week, minimum, and that's a minimum, and I'm not saying that everything I cook is j- done just with your seasoning. Some things get infusions of other things, and chefs probably don't like that, but, you know, I mean, there's certain things that taste really good, but maybe I add a little smoked paprika to it or whatever, and uh, they've become a go-to for me. And, uh, the quality is evident. The, the quality is absolutely evident. And, uh, that says something. And the fact that you do everything you can to keep everything, you know, local and, or, I mean, not really local, domestic, uh, U.S. is, is awesome because it does make things cost more. Uh, but everybody bitches about having to buy from overseas. But I have yeah. a solution. Don't do it. Yeah, don't but, do hey, it. You know, they, they you don't, if, if, you wouldn't, the thing is, most Americans won't work for these slave wages, well then, you know, you have to pay value for value, and the value's there, man, so uh, kudos for the ethical decision to, uh, especially with food. I mean, you know, when people get too much on the anti-China chain, uh, train, I'm like, yeah, where was your doorknob made, dude? You know? Where was the fittings for the lights in your house made? Most people have never even thought of that, and likely it wasn't made in America, but when it comes to food, the one thing this country should be able to do is feed itself, and we have plenty of people going out there trying to revitalize that industry and it's only through good providers like Harvest Eating and Chef Keith Snow, uh good decisions by consumers and hard work by these artisans all over the country that we can revitalize that but there's no excuse for this nation not feeding itself for, so thanks for being part of that effort.
0: Well I appreciate it Jack and uh, again have a great Thanksgiving and, and uh, anybody needs any help don't uh, don't hesitate and do check out the uh, Harvest Eating Podcast because there's um at least 10, we'll probably add another one, um, segment to help people called Thanksgiving University. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
1: All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spirko today along with Chef Keith Snow helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: To do. Someday we'll realize our children just can't pay. Nobody up there cares.